Thank you so much for tuning in to the Let's Talk podcast. My name is Christopher, and I'm the Director of Marketing and Communications for the National Runaway Safe Plan, or NRS. At NRS, we operate the federally designated national communication system for youth who have run away, are experiencing homelessness, or who may be considering leaving home. For over 50 years, we've provided crisis support and resources for young people, families, and communities across the nation. I hope you learned as much as I do on this journey to elevate the voices of young people and youth-facing organizations as they share their stories and highlight the complexities and intersections witnessed by 4.2 million young people facing homelessness each year. A recurring theme in all of our National Runaway Prevention Month episodes has been the importance of the youth voice. For today's episode, I'm turning it over to M. de Cordova, NRS's Youth Prevention and Engagement Coordinator, as well as two members from our Youth Advisory Board. Let's take a listen to their conversation. So to start us off, my name is Emza Cordova. I use they, them pronouns, and I'm the Prevention and Youth Engagement Coordinator here at National Runaway Safeline. Um, Part of my work is overseeing the Youth Advisory Board, and I will have our members here introduce themselves as well. Um, Rachel, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, so um, I've been part of the Youth Advisory Board at the National Royal Safe Line for, I think, a little over a year, maybe a year and a half now. And I've spoken on a few panels and at events related to LGBT youth homelessness. Outside of NRS, I work with Youth Collaboratory and the Dane County Youth Action Board. And I've been involved in the YHDP, which is the Youth Homelessness Demonstration Program. And that's an initiative that brings money into communities to prevent and end youth homelessness, and it centers the voice of youth with lived experience. And um, yeah, it's been really important to have that in communities because we know the systems best, and without considering our voices, systems are often made in ways that are harmful or adultist. And Antonio, can you talk a bit about your experience with National Runaway Safe Lines Youth Advisory Board and also with other programs that might be local to you? So my name is Antonio Davis Robinson. My pronouns are he, him, and I live in Las Vegas, Nevada. For National Runaway Safe Line, I've been a member for, I believe, like a year or two years now. And we've been working on mainly trying to get resources for a lot of youths and getting the backstories for everybody to see what they've been through or some people telling like the experience that they had felt as they were getting older and then experiencing homelessness. Yeah. And I know for a few other programs that I've been in, I have been in for Nevada Partnership for Homeless Youth, NPHY. I was an ambassador for them for quite a, quite a good time. And, you know, they work with as well as like helping youths who are homeless, getting resources as well, trying to provide like necessities for them, helping them with their IDs also. Mm-hmm. So over time I've been working, I was working with them and then I got into NRS, which is an amazing program as well for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And why do you feel that kind of having these programs that center the youth voice are important when it comes to advocacy? I feel like they are really important because, you know, a lot of youths don't get a chance to actually have their voice heard. And most of them are not even heard because of being in a position that they are in. 
And, you know, it takes a really long time for them to even get anything done. So it's pretty it's pretty tough and pretty rough for them to have to go through that. And knowing that, like, we have programs who are helping children and youth get their voices out and voices heard, like, it's amazing because you are learning so much. You're learning what's going on in their life and then also as well as what they felt, like, what they felt during that time period and how they felt. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that's such a good observation. There are so many youth that don't get their voices represented or heard. On that note, what are, and this is for both both of you, Rachel and Antonia, what do you feel are some common misconceptions about youth experiencing homelessness or youth who run away? I think for me, in my personal experiences and just in the services that I've received, there's a misconception that youth who run away are just making immature decisions and that running away is something that a youth does because they don't really know what's best for them and they're just kind of acting out and it's their way of, I guess, expressing emotions or coping with a situation negatively. And I think that's really harmful because it doesn't identify that running away is often a survival mechanism and it's often something that a youth does as a last resort when they don't have people they can go to when the resources that they've tried to access just aren't helping and this is their last resort this is what they feel they have to do in that situation so it's been really harmful I think to have that mindset that youth who do this just don't really know what is best for them or that they're doing it just because um, they're not really thinking through their decisions I think For me, a lot of that mindset comes through in this idea that um, of like family reunification. I know a lot of the programs that I tried to access, that was something that they really highlighted was that um, the goal is for youth to be reunified with family. And while I think that can be positive in some situations, it often identifies the young person as the problem, not the context that they're coming from. And I think that can be really harmful. So yeah, I, I just think that the mindset that young people don't really know what they're doing is a really common misconception. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great point. It feels almost dismissive of young people and their issues. I understand. And like you mentioned, while family reunification can be a good route for some youth, it may not be safe or feasible for all youth considering there are a wide variety of different situations that can lead to a youth leaving home or, and a lot of times it is a safety concern. So I hear you. It, it can feel really dismissive. I'm sure. I'd say for me, um, it's just like, as Rachel said, for the misconception of it, like, Youths who run away, I mean, it's a last resort. Um, sometimes it's hard for them to actually be in the home that they're in. Sometimes it deals with, like, domestic violence or, you know, abuse or another reason that is not known of. Um, I think that it becomes tough at sometimes to where they feel like they have to run away. Um, others who just run away for different reasons that aren't, like, on that point it's kind of tough because it's hard to even tell like, well, are they homeless or are they just doing this because, you know, 
they just don't like being at home or some for some reason they don't feel like doing this it's just it just makes it hard because like some programs are there that offer like help so you can be able to get that support that you need and knowing that like different programs will actually give you a bus ticket or try to get you flown out to your family but sometimes it's like when you run away the parents will put out a report and then it's like you're going all the way out there you don't tell nobody and then it's like the plate like the nonprofit organizations or any organizations can get in trouble because they didn't know but it's like most youth won't actually be upfront about it so it's kind of tough but at the end of the day like most of the time they do find out and there can be the resources that spread out trying to get help for each individual and each person but sometimes it's like they think that most of the time it's not really worth it because of the situations like that and it becomes tough for anybody to figure out what's really going on yeah so it feels like Sometimes there are so many different factors that can cause a young person to run away or to end up in a situation where they're experiencing homelessness even. There are so many different things that can lead to that, that it can be difficult for them to know where to seek help. Okay, so yeah, exactly where, that's exactly what I'm saying. And it, it, like I said, it, it is tough sometimes, so you know, they have to try to figure yeah. out what's really going on. And... Absolutely. I know on our crisis lines, um, our staff deal with so many different types of situations, and there are so many different things that can lead to youth being in these crises. And yeah, it can feel like, it can feel difficult to figure out wh what we need to address first. What are the most significant barriers or challenges that you faced while experiencing homelessness or after running away, basically in your own experiences? What are some challenges you've had? So mine's was transportation and also like food resources as well as like hygiene products because like I didn't really know where to go to get my clothes washed or sometimes I didn't know like what hygiene products I could get or afford. And then trying to get to school, it was also tough because I was working and going to school at the same time. So I was trying to figure out how I was going to get to school, then get to work, and then figure out where I, how I was going to be at home or anything. It became a struggle for me. And then sometimes I was, didn't know what else to do or where to get any like resources or how to get the stuff that I needed, even like school supplies as well. Yeah, so I think there are several things for me. Um... I think the first was just accessing shelter. So I was in the Chicago suburbs. And so I know there are a lot of, at least now there are a lot of youth shelters for um, youth who are experiencing homelessness. But even if they're, they exist, it's really hard to get access to them because there's often not beds available. And so um, I just remember I was, um, at that point, I was with my eighth grade teacher who was someone that's like just very important in my life. But she had cat and uh, she had a cat and dog, and I'm seriously allergic to cats and dogs, so I can't breathe around them. So I wasn't able to stay in her house, and I was sleeping on her porch. And it was becoming even then it was like a really bad situation, and I was like, I can't breathe in this situation, so I need to find somewhere else to stay. And I remember just like trying to call around for youth shelters, and they're always like, Well, we don't have a bed available, so you're just gonna have to call back tomorrow. And 
so I think that was one of the things that was like a huge barrier for me at first was just I I never really knew where to go and I was just constantly terrified that I was going to be sleeping on a street because um in my current situation I was not able to stay with the people that I wanted to stay with or who were safe so I think that was like the first thing is just trying to access shelter in the first place um and then again, that transportation piece, like Antonio mentioned, I can't drive. And so that was a huge barrier, just even like getting to the shelter um, and getting to where I needed to go. And then finally healthcare. So that has been a barrier. That was a barrier while I was homeless um, and also just afterward. So I don't, I didn't have my own insurance at that point. And so I didn't know how to access healthcare on my own. And I was dealing with a lot of health issues that I didn't really understand or know how to navigate. And so those health issues didn't get taken care of until like years after my homelessness experience because I was, even after I was removed from homelessness, I was still really struggling to access healthcare myself because this was something that no one had taught me how to do. And um, I really just didn't know how to navigate that. So that was a big barrier for me. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing. I think those are transportation, especially in the Chicago suburbs, must have been incredibly difficult. And healthcare, housing, these are all such important things that I think it's easy for some people to take for granted. So thank you for talking a bit about your own experiences with that. Kind of tying into that a little bit. When reflecting on programs that you've sought out or received support from in times of need, where do you feel that there is the most opportunity for growth or for change? Honestly, I think something really important is there is a very paternalistic attitude in a lot of these programs that's very belittling and assumes young people don't know what they need or don't know what they're doing. And that for me, when I was in those programs was really harmful because I felt like people assumed that I could never be intelligent, that I didn't have dreams or goals. And if I mentioned them, it was like, wow, I can't believe that this is happening or that you like think you can do this rather than like actually like seeing that as a possibility. Um, So I think that and I think those attitudes can really start changing if Young people are in leadership positions in those organizations and not just young people, but young people that have lived experience. And I think I've been really lucky because I work in my community with the Youth Homelessness Demonstration Program. And so we are young people that have lived experience that are leading system changes and involved in systems. And I've just seen that it has such a huge impact because we're able to directly challenge attitudes about young people that are like really negative sometimes. And I think that's something that a lot of organizations need is they they just need attitudes to be challenged because I think there are a lot of policies that exist in programs that are very adultist. Like I know in our like local shelter, they don't let youth have phones and just things like that, that are like based on this assumption that um, young people can't be trusted, and I, and I really think it's important that young people are leading so that we can show that we can be trusted and that organizations need to trust the people that they're serving. 
Yeah, uh, I know. And I know in a lot of times, like, there are some policies that they do have in place, and it's pretty tough because some of the policies never really make sense to anybody. So it's like, for you to be able to talk to a youth about it, they have to understand, like, the policy, the reason for the policy, or sometimes, like, it's like in the medical field when you have to use when you can't really use like all your medical abbreviations because some people may not understand it. And, you know, some people go through a challenge of not being able to read or not knowing how to write. And it's just, you can't, you gotta really come off with it a little bit easier. And in the attitude perspective, it's easier when you can come at a tone that's more understandable and more like easygoing because it's like, because it's like literally everybody is coming from some type of of it like some type of abuse some type of trauma and you really want to be careful about that because you can say something to them and that tone sounds a little bit different than how than what you think but to them it sounds like you're upset or you're mad or you're a little bit frustrated and it's like you got to be careful like how you come to talk to a person because some people grew up like that with the tones and attitudes and voices being like a little bit louder than they would think. And it seems like the same way when you're in an environment like that. And I believe that everybody should make sure like when it comes to that type of body language as well as voicing out something, you got to think about it very carefully and also very wisely about on it. My next question, have you witnessed or experienced new challenges since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic for youth experiencing homelessness. This could be in your outreach work or anywhere. Um, what kind of changes have you seen? I I don't work in direct service. I work more on the like system side of things. And that's for a lot of reasons, but also just because we have almost a complete absence of direct service stuff here, um, besides one youth shelter for um, youth who are 17 and younger. And it has like four beds and it's never filled to capacity. But um, so I, I don't know so much about the direct service stuff, but I know on the policy side, there's actually been a lot more money put into our community because of COVID. And so I guess that's been a positive thing, but it hasn't really gone all to youth. So, cause we do have the youth homeless demonstration program, but we also have the like emergency grant money for COVID. And so that's been really helpful because that's allowed our community to build new programs and they're kind of phasing out now that that grant money is ending. So, or there's always a question of when they're going to phase out because the grant money's ending. So I guess that's been a, I mean, COVID is not a positive thing, but that has been a positive thing. And then there's also, there was at one point um, eviction moratoriums, and then there's the public health emergency for Medicaid. So that's helped a lot of people stay enrolled in healthcare. Um, so on the policy side of things, there's some, there's been some good things, but I don't really know so much about direct impacts on homeless youth just because that's not really who I'm engaging with here so yeah 
I do feel like the information and access they had were highly different from what it is, what it is now than how it was before. Because even before COVID, you were able to get all the resources and access and information that you needed. But as of like when COVID hit, it was different because you were only able to get a certain amount of information. You were only able to get a certain amount of resources or like products. And as of now, like, I would say that it's almost probably the same. You can still get your resources, some information, but it still depends though, because some people are still following the COVID procedures and the rules for it. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like kind of in the effort to keep people safer, there just became kind of more barriers to accessing care and support for these communities. Next question here, Um, NRS recently released its 2021 Crisis Services and Prevention Report. One key finding from the report is that young people between the ages of 12 and 14 are the fastest growing population of crisis contacts reaching out to NRS, with an alarming increase in youth reaching out under the age of 12. Another key finding is that mental health is our third most cited reason for reaching out. That is 28% of crisis contacts. What do these findings mean to you in the context of your experience? I can speak on that. Um, so I think, first of all, the, like, the 12 through 14, it is alarming that more people are reaching out. But for me, that it's like the same thing we say with shelters is that if our data is showing that there's more you know, that we have more young people homeless because they're accessing shelter. It means that more young people are accessing services. It doesn't necessarily mean that there's actually an increase in the number of young people homeless. So for me, I know something is that for my experiences, I actually used the National Runaway Safe Line when I was a teenager, but I didn't use it until I was like 17, 18, because that was when I found out about it. And I was just so overwhelmed because I was like wow if I had known about this resource sooner I think it could have really helped me out a lot so it could also just mean that because of technology and because there's social media and all this stuff now and young people have phones and internet access which was like a thing when I was a teenager but not as much of a thing um that young people are just finding out about NRS sooner so it is concerning but it could also just mean they're finding resources and then with mental health I guess that's, it's not surprising. Um, I know like, I mean, homelessness is a traumatic experience. If you're experiencing abuse at home, that's a traumatic experience and trauma impacts your mental health. And so um, I think it's concerning that young people have, are experiencing so much trauma. Um, It does say though, that if mental health is something that young people are identifying, as something that they're struggling with, I think it's really important to document that. And then for me, it's also really important to identify ableism because I think that is a system that impacts young people who are dealing with mental health issues. It also impacts how those young people are perceived by systems. And I know in my own personal experience, that was something that I really struggled with. It was that I was dealing with a lot of mental health challenges and a lot of systems just sort of saw me as the problem rather than my environment because 
they saw mental health as something that I had to resolve on my own. And so, yeah, so I think it's really important if we're identifying mental health as something that young people are struggling with, is to also identify systems that impact young people's mental health and how they're perceived. Absolutely. Very well put, Rachel. And I really like the point you made about how the samplings that we get are from youth who reach out to our crisis line. So these are youth who are reaching out for help. And while it may seem alarming to see this many young people reaching out, it doesn't necessarily mean there are more youth in crisis. It could mean that there are more youth who know how to reach out to National Runaway Safe Line. There are more youth who have access to technology to do that. On the subject of COVID-19 changing things, more youth got access to school laptops. So um, they there may just be more youth who have access to um, computers and technology to reach out to us. But very good observations and absolutely it is critical that we keep a sharp eye out for things like ableism when we're discussing mental health. The main thoughts, I mean, yes, it is very, very alarming that, you know, between those ages that there are a lot of youths who are reaching out for so many resources. Although, on the other hand, it's good because just in case, if anything in the future, they can always get help, get, get the help that they need while also helping out a friend because it, the friends being in an emotional state as well, it becomes difficult for them to also try to figure out like, okay, how am I gonna do this? Where can I go? Like some things I know and some things I don't. And you know, how we use technology today, we use it for almost basically everything. And having that for everything is like, okay, you can send the link to your friend or you can show them the video or provide them with a website can get a lot of information that will help them out a lot and then that way they won't have to worry about where I'm going to get it. Like some people even go and print out information so it'll be easier for them because sometimes people may not have phones or have technology around them but you know having that information on hand is pretty great and pretty easy for them. And I feel that you know getting all the information in the bags is makes it easier for anybody who don't have resources and who are going through a struggle can actually get the, get that. It is very beneficial, and you know it creates a less of a stressful environment for them as well because they don't have to think about, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do if I don't know where to go or I don't have the right information. Absolutely, and absolutely. I'm do it as well. Uh, thank you for that, Antonio. I think that's very true. That it's. I feel very glad that we can be here as a resource so that young people do have somewhere to reach out to if they don't, if they need help finding resources. How can organizations most effectively incorporate the voices of youth with lived experiences into their work? They can actually incorporate it by making sure like they get the whole point of view from like any individual who haven't been heard before but also like give them the chance to actually know what's going on and where they're coming from because it can be tough 
like not knowing the situation and not knowing how to deal with everything. But I feel like when you actually sit there and listen and you get the backstory of what's, what they've been going through and actually understand like the trauma because in a lot of areas, you don't really have many staff members or many people that really pay attention to youth stories. And then some of them may not have ever experienced that. And it is difficult because to, as I would say, like to be able to actually understand where they're coming from, you have to be able to take a step into their shoes. You gotta be able to understand like everything that's going on around them and what they faced. So having to deal with all that was, would be pretty hard not, and not knowing like how you can handle it if you never understood it before, but you're finding out very later on in life. And it can, and it's just like, do I really know what they're feeling? Do I know this pain? Do I know the trauma? Do I know like the stress that they've been through? Do I know any of it? You got to really take that time to actually get to know how they got to that point, why they're at that point. Yeah, so I think the first thing that is really important is paying youth and paying youth equitably and for all work that they do. Um, It can feel extremely exploitative to be a youth with lived experience in a space where you are doing work for an organization and they are just taking your story because it benefits them, but then they're not paying you equitably or really involving you in any other work. They're just there because they want your story. And that's something that I have unfortunately encountered in some spaces. And so, so first is just paying youth, but then also making sure that if you're engaging youth in your organization, youth with lived experience is not just asking them to step into things when you need them or when you want their stories, but having them in positions where they have decision-making power And if your organization is making any kind of major decision, you need to have youth in that space with lived experience, especially if you are a youth-serving organization. So that's something that's really important. Um, And yeah, so, and also just finally understanding that lived experience is a form of knowledge. And I, I feel like people underestimate youth with lived experience because you might not have fancy degrees, or we might not have gone to school for things that the organization does, but that doesn't mean that we don't have knowledge because we've been through the systems, so we understand and we know them. Um, So it's just really important to value that as knowledge that is even better than having a degree or like an MSW or something like that. So um, that's just really important is valuing their knowledge, even if it's not a traditionally valued form of knowledge. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Let's Talk podcast. And a major thank you to M for arranging this conversation today. And also to our youth advisory board members, Rachel and Tony, for sharing their stories with us. I know their messages will resonate with so many youth-facing organizations who want to learn and grow so they can help as many people as possible. If you'd like to learn more about the National Runaway Safe Line's youth advisory board, visit nationalrunawaysafeline.org slash YAB, as in youth advisory board. You can also find a link in our bio.